Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verse 21 through verse 25. This is the first part of several messages uh, that I'll be looking at. Three parables, one about a lamp, one about scattered seed, and one about the tiny mustard seed. But this morning we're looking at the lamp. Let me uh, read and start in verse 21 to verse 25. It says, And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? It is not brought to be put on a lampstand. Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask you this morning as we look at these parables about the mystery form of the kingdom, that you would give us more understanding about what is happening even in this day, even in the time that we live, as we see things going on. Lord, you are working behind the scenes. You are building your kingdom, even though it is hidden, even though we cannot see it. And Lord, it will culminate into you coming back again. And so I pray, Lord, you would give us understanding how we fit into that, and so we can be faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ while we're here. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I mentioned last time that there is a crisis that is getting worse and worse in our land, and it is the crisis of hearing. And yes, uh, the reason for that is because we live in a multimedia, entertainment-saturated culture uh, where television and other media sources have helped to create really a society of watchers, not listeners, people who are fascinated by pictures and not educated by words, people who really don't read anymore. Um, They read blurbs. They read short blogs. They read things that do not really have to engage much thought in, uh, and that seems to be the course of what's going on. Of course, that's not a new thing. Uh, the crisis has been around for a long time. Matter of fact, in the garden, I mentioned that Eve, when she disobeyed God, she, it says in the scriptures that she saw the tree was pleasant for her sight, All right? And of course, she disregarded what she had heard from God, you shall not eat it. So this whole matter, and even in the passage of Scripture we're looking at, this matter of hearing becomes a very important topic to the Lord because what he is saying to his disciples is so vital that they get it. 
It's so vital that they receive it and are receptive to it. He does, he really, he impresses upon his hearers this whole matter of listening. See, our text today really is about how careful one hears spiritual truth. Uh, The passage also teaches us that there is definitely a spiritual connection between the heart and the ear. I asked you to ask yourself a question last time, several questions about yourself. Are you an aggressive listener? You know, are you always prepared to listen when, especially when the word of God is being taught, is being expressed, is, is being given? Do you have an open Bible and an open heart? Are you, in other words, are you all ears ready to add to what you already know as God builds this great picture in your mind about his great plan from the beginning to the end? So it's, it's the testing of the ear. Is the ear picking it up? And is the heart receiving it? I like what Ray Comfort does when he uh, evangelizes people. With the gospel, he often tests to see how well they're hearing, and he says to them uh, to see if they're li- listening carefully. He would said he would stop in the middle of what you're saying. He says, "Listen, um, spell shop," and people would say, "S H O P," right? And then he would quickly ask them, "When you come to a green light, what do you do?" And they almost a large percent of the time say, "What? Stop." All right, I think that's a great way to, you know, and then he says, listen, if you can get that wrong, why do you, do you think you can get the matter of eternal salvation wrong? See, the thing is, is that, that that's what, see, it's a matter of what is your ear actually listening to? What are you receiving when it comes to the word of God? The true disciples of Jesus Christ are really people who grow in their desire to know what God has to say. They don't want short stories. They don't want, you know, life experiences. They want, what does God say? What does it say here in the text? I need to know that. You need to know that. And when we do know it, that is what makes us strong. That is what matures us. That is what makes us disciples that can go into a lost world and give the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's look back up to verse number one of chapter four because I want to set again the context. It says, and he be- Mark chapter four, verse one, and he began to teach again by the sea and such a very large crowd gathered to him and he got into a boat in the sea and sat down and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. So we see here that there was a large amount of people that came to Jesus and on this very event, The day that he stepped into that boat, Jesus began to teach in a different way. He began to teach in parables, right? That becomes important. In fact, he says there in verse number two, and he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching. So Jesus takes a shift in what he is teaching about, and he spoke to them concerning the secrets 
of the kingdom of God. Look at verse number 11, chapter 4. It says, and he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. So he has an inside group and he has an outside group. There are always those groups when people gather together, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Right, but let me just go back and give you some update on what parables are, because I want, I want you to always remember this. Parables mean a comparison or an analogy. Lord, the Lord is often holding something up against something else, usually an earthly concept with a heavenly meaning. And so, firstly, these parables are connected with the central message that God has begun to assert his kingly power against evil, and that the promise of the Old Testament of the time of salvation has come with the presence of Jesus Christ on the earth, with the beginning of his ministry. Secondly, parables are not meant to be fully obvious or transparent. They require the hearer or reader to use some effort to get their point and then provoke that hearer and reader to a response, always a response, either the response of re- repentance or the response of rejection. There is no neutral ground. It's either one or the other. You can't straddle the fence when it comes to spiritual truth. You have to come to a decision. So thirdly, parables provide insight into the nature the coming, the growth, the consummation of the kingdom of God. It gives us a picture of this kingdom that has come near. Of course, Jesus brings the kingdom near, but remember, the kingdom has not come in its fullness. That will come later on. But because Jesus is near and he is the king of the kingdom, that means he steps into Satan's territory And he begins to plunder that kingdom. How does he do it? He begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom. People start getting saved. And of course, they're presented with either you're going to follow Christ or you're not going to follow Christ. You can't have both things going on. Then fourthly, parables reveal more truth to to those with receptive ears and hide the truth to all the others. And then one of the last things about parables in the Gospels, it ultimately draws attention to Jesus as God's Messiah and calls everyone who's listening to make some kind of personal decision concerning him, one of acceptance and obedience or one of rejection. Those are, that's what's going on when parables are given. In fact, Jesus teaches in parables to reveal the secrets of the kingdom. In fact, in Matthew, it tells us that he opened his mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. 
Now, when I was in Ephesians, I brought some of those things out that were hidden, but we're going to see that ever progressing in the gospel. So in parables, Jesus is going to speak about the hidden, the concealed, the cover things uh, that were in the past were, that were not understood since the foundation of the world, and Jesus is going to reveal the secret thought, the plans, and the dispensations of God which were hidden from human reason and reveal them only to whom they are intended, only to his true disciples. So one has to believe and repent and come into the kingdom of God before they can have anything else. Um, you can study all your life and never about, even about spiritual things and even about the Bible and never come into the kingdom of God. See, Jesus gave seven parables concerning the secret form of the kingdom of God. Now, let me just give you a little mini theology of my understanding of the kingdom of God, which is a huge subject in Scripture and a very difficult one. I look at it like this. The mini theology is that there was a mediatorial kingdom given to King David in the Old Testament, right? A mediatorial kingdom is a kingdom that has several aspects to it. Number one, it's the rule of God through a divinely chosen representative who only speaks and acts for God and also represents the people of God. Of course, in the Old Testament, that would be, in this case, King David. All right? And then, of course, along in the, uh, thinking about the mediatorial kingdom is that it's a rule which has special reference to the earth. All right, that a mediatorial kingdom is something that has to take place on the earth. All right, and then having as its mediatorial ruler one who is always a member of the human race. So there has to be a human who resides over a kingdom that is on the earth. So that's what I mean by a mediatorial kingdom. It's on the earth. All right, and it's by an earthly king. And so. That was given to David. That was the promise. Now, between David and the millennial reign of Christ on earth, which I believe is the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, remember, there has to be a human. Jesus Christ is the God-man. He has to be ruling on the earth, all right? He rules here on the earth, and he rules in the millennial kingdom here on earth which then leads into the eternal kingdom of God. So between David's kingdom and the kingdom of Christ on earth, we have the church, right? We have the age of the church, all right? And the church is the custodian of the kingdom of God. The church is the spiritual part of the kingdom of God, right? So that means while we're preaching the gospel, the kingdom, The Lord is building the secret kingdom of God behind the scenes. All right, that is what he's doing right now. So there's going to be some crazy things that go on while we're preaching the kingdom of God. Evil is still around, all right? Sin is still abounding, all right? The world's gone crazy, all right, all over the place. And so all these things are quite normal when it comes to Scripture, but behind the scenes... God is building his kingdom. And so the parables are telling telling us some aspect about the secret form of the kingdom of God 
that is being growing and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. All right, so the last parable that I looked at last, last time I preached was the parable of the sower and, of course, better, the soils, that the soils represented the heart of man. The seed was the word of God, all right? And, of course, the seed was broadcasted, and as the seed fell on the ground, whether it was hard, whether it was thorny, whether it was rocky, or whether it was cultivated, would give the sense on how that seed would grow and bear either a small crop or a larger crop. And so when the seed of the Word of God falls on a cultivated heart, all right, then that person believes and they come in to the secret kingdom of God, uh, the church being the custodian of that kingdom. The second parable is the one I'm going to look at this morning, and that's the parable of um, the lamp. And then, of course, the parable of the growing seed, and then the parable of the mustard seed. Now, each of the three parables is showing that the kingdom of God will grow by the power of God until it takes every true disciple from every people group in every nation. So that's what's going on now. The times of the Gentiles in which the gospel will go through the whole world and the gospel will penetrate every group of people, every nation it will go to until that last disciple comes in to the kingdom of God. I don't know who that is. Only God knows when and who and how that's going to take place. But these parables give us some insight into that, what's going on behind the scenes. All right, so this morning, we look at the parable of the lamp in verse number 21 to 25 of chapter 4. So Jesus is now addressing a narrower circle of hearers in this parable, and that is those who are sitting at Jesus' feet as his disciples. They're learning, they're following his teaching along with the 12 apostles, and Jesus throws out to them two rhetorical questions that call for a negative answer and then one rhetorical question that really calls out for a positive answer. He uses a very common object for his story, and the Lord usually does that. Remember, it's going to be a contrast, right? The lamp. Everybody can understand what a lamp is. Now, in the Old Testament, a lamp in those days was a receptacle of oil, uh, which one end had a snout through which a wick passed through. So they would fill a a lamp with oil and they would stick a wick in it and they would light it and that would be their source of light in their house. And so that's what is going on here. And remember that a lamp was to give light. The purpose of a lamp of that object was to give light in order for people to see. That's what the purpose of light is. So people can see something they would not normally see if the light wasn't there. All right, so that's what is going on here. So the Lord is using the object of a lamp, all right? And so there's two things that are important to come bring out here in this passage. Number one, if you hide the lamp, you use it in the wrong way. That's the first thing. And look what he says in verse 21 and 22. Verse 21, he says, and he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? There's the two rhetorical questions. Of course, the answer is no. That's not what you use it for. 
but then he says, it is not, is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? Of course, that would have the answer of yes. So see, the very idea of putting a lamp under something to hide its purpose is absolutely ridiculous. Instead, light is to provide maximum coverage to benefit all in a given room. So hence, to hide a lamp that produces life is to use it in a wrong manner. Now, the reference to the lamp is, I believe, twofold. Number one, it refers to Jesus. Remember what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 46? I have... He said, it says, I have come as the light, as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So Jesus, of course, is considered to be the light. He's the one who comes into the darkness, the darkness of Satan's kingdom, the darkness of the world, and he is the light. And then, again in John 1, 9 and other passages, it says there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. And then, of course, John eight twelve. then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus being definitely the referent to that lamp, but then his disciples also are the ones who are going to take the lamp and do something with it, right? They, in, in a sense, are, are the lamp too because the lamp also pictured the hearers who receive his word as lamps who have been lighted. So now people who were living in darkness, were living in the bondages of sin, are now made alive because of the light of Jesus Christ. And so now they have a responsibility to do something with this light. So then lamps are to be put on a lampstand in order to give light for people. Now, in the same way, the disciples are to spread the light of the word of God, the message of the gospel of the kingdom, and bring that gospel to the nations of people of the world. That's what they're to do. That's their responsibility to do that and of course God is doing that and as he's doing that people are coming into the kingdom of God they're seeing the kingdom of God and they're entering the kingdom of God by the conviction of the spirit of God and repentance and faith and that's how they're and then the church is being built so the admonition for us would be do not put the light where it does no good We have to hold up the light of Jesus Christ if people are to be saved. There's no other way to do it. To do anything else with the light is actually ridiculous and helps no one and does not use that light in the way it ought to be used. All right, now, as that's going on, chapter 4 and verse 22, we have two synonymous statements that are given. It says this, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. They're both synonymous things said in different ways. In 
the present context, the blessed secrets are of the gospel. That's what's in view here. So the disciples are the lamp to be placed on the lampstand with the message of the light of Jesus Christ. And through them, the mystery of the gospel is to shine forth in the world. So the very light of the gospel will actually expose the darkness. It will expose the hidden things of the world. It will show what those, real, what those uh, hidden things really are and the nature of what they are. And what God doesn't expose now will be exposed at the end in the judgment of God. In other words, God will finish everything in judgment. Nobody, nothing that is hidden will be kept hidden. The Lord will make everything known, everything revealed. So it is not the purpose of men here in this passage to do the hiding that is in view, but God who frustrates this secretive purpose, purpose of people, because this is what usually happens. Sin, hide. People who sin hide things, right? We have, everybody's hiding something. You hear the terms where people say, well, you have, you have skeletons in your closets too, don't you? All right, so, so somebody has something to hide. Something, some, everybody has something to cover, to keep secret. So in other words, God will see to it that all secret things are revealed. If not in time, then at the end, God will bring to light even the secret of, of people's hearts. And there's really two passages of scriptures that um, highlight this and kind of pull back the curtain when it comes to what the Lord is going to do in his judgment. In fact, if you'd like to turn there, the first one is 1 Corinthians 4, 5, and the second one is Romans chapter 2, verse number 16. And the first one in 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this. It says, therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then... In Romans chapter 2, verse 16, it says that on the day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. In other words, that there is going to be a time where Lord's going to expose even the secrets of people's hearts. Could you imagine how many secrets there are? And how is he going to do that? By the light of the gospel. So it is the very light of the gospel that exposes the darkness, that exposes the evil, that exposes the sin, that exposes that every, exposes everything that is against God, everything that is contrary to what God is doing, and it's going to bring it to light. So like the lamp that is properly placed on the lampstand, so... God has sent this lamp to bring light to a dark world. He has come to reveal truth. He has come to enlighten minds. He has come to conquer the darkness. And the light may be, for the most part, today, hidden at the moment. However, 
eventually the whole world will see the glory of this light and they will come and bow to Jesus Christ, who is the light, and they will have their secrets revealed before him and nothing that has been hidden will stay hidden. It will be manifest before God. And so that becomes what is going on. All, both things are going on. The gospel's going out. Things are still being hidden. And yet the Lord is giving us the secrets of what was hidden in the gospel. All right? That this is how you become, come into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. So then look at what Jesus says in verse number 23. This is where he comes up again talking about ears. And he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is saying to his audience, are you listening to this? Do you hear what I'm saying? Are you getting it? So why should the hearers give heed to what Jesus is saying? Why? The reason why is because hearing the word of God and acting upon it is of the greatest importance in life. Matter of fact, it is of the highest importance in life. I was talking to a man. uh, My sister had gotten married this weekend and I had done the wedding. And um, I was talking to a man later, a a long-time friend who came to the wedding, and um, he was uh, not religious uh, and stuff like that. And he's sitting out there and listening to the message. And and after the the wedding, he says to me, you know what, you can convince me to be a Christian. And I said, well, I would love to do that. And so I I spent a little time with them talking with them. And, um, and he was really intrigued. He says, one thing that was amazing about what you were saying is that I couldn't disagree with one thing because I knew this, it was all true. And he says, I, I, it's hard to argue with truth. You know, his name was Sam. And uh, so I hope to have another opportunity to speak to him. And I, but that was very encouraging to me because, see, that's what grabs people. It is is that no matter where they're at, no matter what philosophy of life they have, no matter what conclusions they come to, when they hear the truth, they know it's the truth. Whether they reject it or accept it, they know it. And he knew, he says, you know, I, and I was telling him about Jesus Christ, is that, you know, the only way, you know, you, you hear that there's many ways to God, but you know what, according to Scripture, uh, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And I says that, and if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, there's only one alternative that God can do because God's a just God. He's got to send you away from him into a place that's called, called hell where you're going to be under his wrath for all eternity. And uh, so at that point, things were breaking up and he was leaving, but he, wasn't, he was definitely says, I would like to talk to you about this again. And so that, see, that is something that when light is brought to a person, when truth is brought to a person, which are synonymous in Scripture, it, it gets right down to the very recesses of their heart. And they have to grapple with it. They have to deal with it. If they do, then, of course, it will bring them to a conclusion of whether they're going to repent 
and believe or they're going to reject it. So Jesus says at this point to his audience, and remember, his audience are his followers, his 12, and the whole crowd that are on the seashore. And they're listening to him, and he's saying to them, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, how is that related to the lamp? Well, if you hide the light, if you hide the truth, you will lose it. You will lose it. Look what it says in verse 24. It says, and he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. That is an encouraging statement. But that is a statement of responsibility. See, God's not going to let, the Lord's not let anybody off the hook that you can just listen to me and not work at listening. That somehow you're sitting there and it's all passing and flowing over you like a wave of the ocean. No, it is your responsibility to put effort to your hearing. And it's amazing what he says. I never heard, this the only place I ever heard it used like this was right here in Scripture because he says this, the measuring here it means measuring is hearing. So you're measuring something by the way you hear. Measuring whether you're a good hearer or an inadequate hearer. And superficial hearing is always bad and never pleasing to the Lord. So how people treat the instruction of Jesus is vitally important in this section of Scripture. Jesus wants his disciples to bring, when the word of God is being taught, a full measure of attention and eagerness to learn. In fact, that's what a disciple is. Disciple simply means a learner. But it's not something who just sits there, somebody who's engaging with their ears to what is being said and running it through the grid of everything else they know. And as they do that, they grow and they grow and they grow in their knowledge and their wisdom and their understanding of what God is doing in their life and in the world and in the church and where, he's, where all this is heading. So Jesus wants his disciples to bring a full measure of attention and eagerness to their learning. If so, if they do that, God will return to them an even fuller measure of this precious saving faith that they were introduced to in the beginning. And God's measure is always, always lavishing and generous. No believer can say that God didn't lavish truth and light on them. They can't say that because God is always a generous giver, especially in this area. So if you look at the last part of the verse in verse 24, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you besides. So the aggressive listener is somebody who can always enjoy more, always enjoy more truth 
always enjoy more light. It's because they want it too. Because God will return to them a fuller measure of whatever they can give in their hearing. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. The way you give to others in this way, God will give to you. But he will give you even more. And look at verse 25. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away. I don't know about you, but that's a frightening statement. So if you think of it in this way, in in the terms of two groups. Group one, those who care carefully. They give heed. They pay attention. They are receptive to the word of God. And that equals that they will keep what they have and receive even more than they gave back in their hearing from God because they're engaging. They want it. They're receptive. They're taking it in. They're chewing on it. It's digesting spiritually in their soul. And they're becoming more like Christ. And they're realizing, they're seeing God's plan. And they're adjusting their their life to what God's plan is. And knowing that this earth is disposable. This is not our home. This is not the end. There's going to be, and uh, uh, we're going to be in the presence of Christ. And so they begin now to adjust everything to be thinking eternally. And not just temporally. And not just locally but it becomes a broad spectrum of thought. Why? Because they're growing in the word of God. In fact, the gold of the world is growing dim. And their desire to be with Christ is increasing because their knowledge is increasing of what God is giving to them. And it all, so good hearers receive and they get more. And the response To God's truth means more truth will follow. That's the promise that God gives those who are engaged in receptive hearing. One person suggested the sense also of the passage because it's talking about what's going on behind the scenes in the growing secret kingdom of God is that when you hear and embrace the kingdom of God now, when it's small, when it's somewhat hidden, you will share it when it is worldwide. You will share it when, in other words, the kingdom of God is exposed to all the world. And now Jesus Christ and uh, the place that he resides on the earth, the nations come to him. And we are all going to be part of that kingdom in which Jesus is reigning and ruling on the earth. And everybody knows it and sees it. And so we are part of that because we believed when the kingdom was smaller, but now it's going to be this incredible growth that explodes everywhere uh, in God's plan, and we're going to be part of that. That's the first group. The second group, those who do not take care to hear carefully, who do not pay attention, who are distracted by the things of the world, who are distracted by making money, who are distracted by materialism, who are distracted by just problems and issues that take their mind off of what their mind should be on. 
And because of that, they will get no more. And the frightening part about it is, is that even what they did get in knowledge, they lose. So those who care not to heed, do not pay attention, and were not receptive to the word of God are bad hearers, and they reject what God offers to them. So I don't know if I can make a conclusion on that, specifically from this passage of Scripture. But it seems here that those who cared not to heed, who brought no heed and no desire to Jesus, would naturally find the same measure measured out to them, that they would be a person who refuses Jesus and the word and loses what little they may have once had as their knowledge of God and what he's doing. And it's gone forever. And you know what? Throughout the church, throughout church history, there has always been a vast amount of preaching. But the result has always been the same. Some hearts are penetrated and produce fruit. Only some hear and want more and get more. So that's what's going on as the mystery part of the kingdom is growing behind the scenes in the church. You have two things going on. Some people will have the word of God penetrate the heart and bear fruit. Some people will hear and want more. And, and of course, they will bear more fruit of knowledge too. And so that's the case. Of course, the question is, how you respond to Jesus day by day is of the highest importance to Jesus Christ. Young people, whatever is going on in your life, the most important thing for you to know is the Word of God. Old people too, middle people, whatever age you are, that's, your, our ears have been created to hear God. And when you hear God, You don't want to hear anything else. And when you hear him, you want more. And you want more, and you want more, and you want more. It's like what Peter says, those desire, like a baby desires the milk of of the mother's breast, the mother's milk, uh, a baby, uh, just like a baby, that's how it should be the desire of a believer. Right, that I want more, and I want more, and I want more, and I want more, and God continually gives us more. That's why it's it's so amazing. You can you can study the Bible every day of your life for the rest of your life and never exhaust it, because we can't exhaust it. In fact, when we die and go to heaven, we know we're going to be learning about who God is, and it's going to be for all eternity, and we're still not going to know everything. See, when we get to heaven, we don't know everything because we would be God. God knows everything, but we're going to be learning more and more and more about him. And you know what? We're going to enjoy every second. You know when Martha and Mary were having that thing and uh, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and Martha was all busy about doing things? What did Jesus say? She sat and listened and heard Jesus. And Jesus says what she has been given will not be taken away from her, Martha. Because she, she caught the most important thing. It's not doing all the frantic things that life 
pressures us to do. It's about listening to the Lord. It's about getting what he says. It's about putting it into practice. It's about loving the Lord with all your heart. The only way you're going to do that is by Scripture. Now, I want you to take your Bibles real quick and turn to Hebrews, because Hebrews had something to say to a group of people who should have known, been to the place where their hearing should have produced at least discernment of what is good and what is bad. So true disciples really are careful not to become dull of hearing. In Hebrews chapter 5, look down to verse number 11. It says this, Hebrews 5.11, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, In this passage of Scripture, of course, there's two things going on. The immense responsibility of teaching the Word of God. All right? And he says there, listen, some things are hard to explain. Scripture is not easy. There's many parts of Scripture that are very difficult. And let me just say that the full-orbed teaching of the Christian faith is by no means... uh, and easing things to grasp, nor can it be learned in a day or even a few months, but it really must be the daily exercise of the mind on truth for the rest of your lives. It is something you cannot back away from for long periods of time. So an unwillingness to work out the deeper implications of the gospel in your lives and to remain reluctant, to give serious thought to the ongoing exposition of Scripture prevents spiritual growth. And there's also the ineptitude of the student. It says, since you have become dull of hearing. And the word dull actually means, uh, is used for a numbed limb actually the numb limbed of a sick lion. If a lion was slow moving, he would not be able to catch his prey and it would be just a matter of time for him to grow weaker and weaker and become sick and die. And so he, the hunter, would become the hunted. Now that's a very sad and pathetic thing to see a lion, the king of beasts, become that weak. And why does it become that weak? Because he somehow, by a lame leg, cannot feed himself and so therefore dies off. So two things result really from the ineptitude of students. It restricts communication. The teacher could not teach the people more of the revelation of God's word. 
In other words, he could not teach the meat and potatoes because they were not able to take it. And also, it restricts comprehension. If the believer's mind remains numb and their mind stops feeding on spiritual truth, well, then they are not going to grow spiritually. A Christian not growing in spiritual truth is a very sad and pathetic thing. It's a very sad and pathetic thing. So in Hebrews 5.11 where he says, And since you have become dull of hearing, this implies that the readers were once keen of hearing, but have fallen into a sluggish, spiritually lazy condition. But it gives hope to, to their sluggishness in this passage. See, it doesn't need to be permanent. If you've fallen onto some cold times or you're not listening the way you ought to. Um, and of course, our culture and even modern evangelicalism does not help rescue someone from this condition because the mindset of evangelicalism is let's dumb everything down. Matter of fact, all the standards across all education is being dumbed down. to the point where, oh, everybody can come in. No, that's not how God done it, right? There's certain standards that need to be met. And so there's one thing we can never do in the Christian faith is dumb things down. That's why we need to know the whole counsel of God. We need to know all the Bible. And all the Bible, some of 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 the Bible is not always interesting at the moment, but we need to know it because it's filling in an understanding of what God has done. So the great scandal of today's church is Christians without Christian minds. Well, you see that Hebrew Christians here, after many years in the faith, have not been growing spiritually for several reasons, which I can't give now. But enough time had passed for them to have developed in in maturity and Christian thought and to the point where they should have been able to articulate truth to others and live a life pleasing to God. But look at the painful diagnosis in verse number 12 of Hebrews chapter 5. You're babies when by this time you should be teachers. He says that you ought to be teachers. See, so not teachers in the sense of theological professors or elders. Not in that sense. And then secondly, you never got past the rudiments The basics, Christianity 101. So the same students need to be taught again, the same subject by another teacher. See, you need someone to teach you again the ABCs of Christianity. In other words, you need to repeat the elementary curriculum. You should have been moved past that by now. Or maybe you're comfortable with that kind of curriculum. You can't be, though, as believers. If the passage in I, I said and talked about in Mark is that we're going to want more. We're going to want more. We're never going to be satisfied what we know spiritually. And that's, that's the way it ought to be. And also he says here, you need milk. You need to be bottle fed with milk. The only ones who use milk are babies and those who are ill. What do, what do they call that stuff that they give you when you're ill? Insure, that's it. Insure. You know, liquid, everything's liquid. 
No meat, potatoes, something you could sink your teeth into. You know what I mean? That's what you want as a believer. I want to know more. I want to know the doctrines of grace. I want to know those things. They, those give you, things give you stability. So your decision and behavior display spiritual ignorance, as it says here in this passage. And like little children who do not know the difference between right and wrong, verse, verse number 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant cannot discern the difference between what's right and wrong, what's God's way and what's every other way. They just don't know. They're not sure. We ought to be sure. If I asked you, do you know if you're going to die today and go to heaven, you ought to be sure about the answer. Not based on a profession, but based on what you learn from the Word of God, based on your stability in, in theological doctrine that you have been learning and growing in that you're confident that God's done this and he will keep his promise to not only save you now, but take you into eternity, all right? See, that the thing is that you need to be sure about that. There can't be any straddling the fence on that. This is the most important question of your life. So what's the solution according to Hebrews chapter 5? For anyone who's become dull of hearing, for anyone who has slacked off and has not been attentive as they ought to be to spiritual things. Here's the solution, verse 14, chapter 5 of Hebrews. He says this, get in and stay in the spiritual gymnasium. In verse number 14, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You know what? Godliness is practice. If you want to be good at basketball, practice. If you want to be good at anything, practice, right? Well, it says here, why are they able to discern good and evil? Why are they able uh, to um, know what God wants them to do? Is because they are training to discern. And the word train is actually the word gymnasium in the Greek to exercise vigorously in any way, either the body or the mind, as one becomes accustomed to the word of God by constant use and constant training and constant washing your mind out, washing out all the junk and putting in God's truth, the mind then makes correct judgments when necessary. You can discern. I know the difference between what is good and what is bad, what is right. And what is wrong? What is God's way? What is every other way? I know that. I've learned that from what? Practicing the word of God, from getting in my head. You know why? Because God cares about the strength and maturity of his children. And something that it's normal for Christians to remain spiritual infants for the duration of their lives. As long as they profess Jesus as Savior and Lord, sometime in the past, they're satisfied, and they think God expects no more of them. Wrong. What kind of father would want to have his children or have 10 children and not, do not care whether any of them grow spiritually or to physical maturity? Nobody would want that. In the same token, what kind of father would God be if he wanted, if, if he wanted to adopt so many children but then didn't care whether or not they ever grew up in the faith? See, God is not a deadbeat dad. He is always working towards the spiritual growth 
of the members of his body. Because it is to us has been given the keys of the kingdom of God to bring the light of the gospel, the lamp, where the, to put the light on the lampstand and to show it to people so God can use that to bring others into the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God grows behind the scenes and leads towards the culmination of God's program. So members should care about their own continual spiritual progress. And you should also pray and care about the spiritual progress of the rest of the sheep too. So are your ears ready to listen? Are you receptive and sensitive to God's truth? Have you had and do you still have a desire, a craving for the word of God like a baby has for his mother's milk? Do you have that? If you don't have that desire, look for sin. If you never have that desire, look to see if you're even converted. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. If you see the sin, confess the sin, and get back into the gymnasium and start training your heart and mind every day until that desire gets rekindled and you feed on God's word, and you love it. You love it. So, during the mystery, hidden growth of the kingdom of God, there will be good hearers, and there will be bad hearers. But only those who continue to grow in the word of God and follow Jesus are the true disciples. Those are the ones who Jesus asked the questions, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. True disciples are the ones who have ears to hear. Good hearers receive and get more. Bad hearers reject and lose the little that they once had. A look at yourself today and evaluate yourself according to this passage because those are the people that are part of the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, again, I thank you for such credible truth from the word of God. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to put ourselves up against it and that, Lord, we would see how do we measure when it comes to our hearing. And, Lord, Lord, how do we measure before you, not before anybody else? Lord, do we come ready? Do we come wanting to receive, wanting to feed Do we come wanting to add to what we already know? I pray that we would, Lord. Make us us people who want it, who want the word of God, who want to be used, who want to be keeping their joy and living in the peace of God so they can do what they should be doing, bringing the gospel to their family and friends and living the gospel before them and, and being able to give wise counsel because they know the difference between what God wants and what the world is doing, I pray that you would make us people that are discerning and, um, and people that really love your truth. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.